0: We Christians live by a different set of rules, right? And that's why the world doesn't understand. They think that we live by this book, we live by rules, so-and-so to speak, in order to earn favor with God, but they don't get it. They don't understand that we have been born into a new kingdom and this kingdom is right here right now it is around us we just can't see it and we live out of this love response back to Jesus we aren't being obedient in order to get a piece of squid by hopping through a hoop with God we're not getting this prize called heaven in order to show off how awesome we are no what happens is is we are now living in a brand new kingdom. Well, kingdom that we can't see. And Christians are to live differently. I'm going to ask you rhetorical. Right? Right. And after you come to Jesus, Jesus starts teaching you how to live. And last week I left you with some unanswered question. At least a, in a sense it was unanswered. And we talked about how we are not to be judgmental because the world accuses Christians of just being judgy. I've made up a new word, judgy. Uh, No, it'll be okay. A fault finder. Versus a grace giver and a grace giver is more about a counselor, more about coming alongside someone and we talked about how if we have a twig in our eye, we better get the twig fixed before we try, or a log in our eye we better get the log out of our eye before we try to go help somebody with a twig in it and we have a a question though, how do we live in a society that is within our kingdom. We march to a beat of a different drum. How do we then not be judgy, yet filled with discernment? Remember last week the example of squeezing an avocado or squeezing a peach before you buy it? You are to be discerning Yet, not judgmental about whether that watermelon that has not been cut open, whether it's sweet or not. We don't know what's inside a person's heart, but we can see the way they're living. And so we're supposed to have discernment, yet at the same time, not cross over into being judgy. So, how do I give grace without enabling a person to stay in their dysfunction or to stay in their sin? When is it time to confront and have a come-to-Jesus meeting? And a lot of times parents will have come-to-Jesus meetings, right? They just do with their kids. So how do we live in Jesus' kingdom right here, right now? Because heaven isn't this prize that we're working for. We're already seated in the heavenlies, the scripture says. And Jesus is accessible to us right here, right now. How do we do it? I'm glad you asked that question. Turn to your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7. We're going to take six little verses today. Six little verses, chapter 7, beginning at verse 7, and it reads out of the ESV this way. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks for this is the law and the prophets. That's also commonly called what? The golden rule. Do unto others as they would have, you would have them do unto you. So let's talk about context then. Remember last week we started off the sermon, if a woman throws her two-year-old out of a second-story window, is that good or bad? And it, we don't know, do we? Context says if she's on drugs and is doing, it's a bad thing. If there's a fire in the house and she tosses her two-year-old out the window, it's what? Probably a good thing. Context determines everything. So what is the context of asking, seeking, knocking? There are many people in this world that use this as a blank check. They quote this verse and say, God wants me to have a new Mercedes. I'm asking. I'm going to claim it. I'm going to proclaim it. I'm going to get it. Because I'm asking in faith that God will give me anything that I ask for. Anything? Really? Uh, I don't think that's the context of him saying, Ask, seek, knock, and it will be given to you. So what, what is the context Okay, if you're asking and seeking, in fact, Tammy, you can, oh, you got it, perfect. If you're asking, seeking, and and knocking for power and wisdom to not have a critical spirit, I mean, you really don't want to have a critical spirit. You don't want to be judgy. And yet at the same time, be smart enough to not be taken advantage of. Be smart enough to not enable a child in their sin or an adult in their sin. When do you confront? When do you come alongside somebody and be a counselor? What do you need in order to be the best friend ever? You're going to be a BFF to somebody if you can truly receive what from God? Power and wisdom. Did you know God's wisdom is, our, is one of our greatest needs? Discernment on what is the right thing to do. Listen, the right thing to do in every situation, in every relationship, for every moment that you're alive. That sounds like a pretty big task. Now, a lot of people say, well, you just live by rules. You know how many rules we'd have to have for every situation that is, you could even dream up of? There's just not enough paper in the world. There's not enough trees to come up with every situation. So how does this work then? James 1.5 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and you're going to get it. So It not, has nothing to do with about getting what you want, a blank check of asking, seeking, knocking, it has everything to do with the previous few verses. How do you help somebody take a speck out of their life? How do you be a grace giver without actually encouraging them in sin? In James chapter 4, it says this. One of the reasons you don't get what you're asked for, and it goes back to that blank check idea, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly and you want to spend it on yourself. Okay, wow, so we're supposed to be asking for wisdom not to get rich or not to have an easy, comfy life, but we're asking for wisdom on how to navigate living in Jesus' kingdom at the same time living in a world, dealing with people that are EGRs. You know what EGRs are? Extra grace required. You have them at work. You have them in your neighborhood. You have them in your family. Those people that you have to give extra grace to, and you give it to them without actually enabling them. Wow. First John says, we ask whatever we want of God and we receive it from Him because we keep His commandments and we're doing what pleases Him. Or in First John a little later, he says, this is the confidence we have towards God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Now, if you're still kind of wondering, well, is it really asking? Is that what we're supposed to be asking for? Wisdom? It doesn't actually say that in the text. And that's where I got you. Because the parallel passage in Luke 11 says this. The parallel passage says this. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit... To those who ask Him. Aha! When we're asking and seeking and knocking, we're asking for the Holy Spirit's guidance to live a life that's not... Could you imagine if you had to carry around a rule book on how to live life? It would be a truckload of paper. But no, you don't need that. You have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit living inside of you to direct you in the way you live in Jesus' kingdom now. Now, asking, let's talk about ask, seek, and, and knock. Asking is about prayer, right? When you're asking, prayer changes our perspective sometimes. Prayer definitely will change our attitude. That's one of the first things that comes to my mind when a couple are having a fight and they're having marital problems. I'll ask them, will you pray for your spouse? And most of the times, it's hands on hips. No, I don't want to pray for them. I'm mad at them. I'm angry with them. Do you know what will begin to happen if you begin earnestly praying for them? your attitude towards them begins to soften. It begins to change. It begins to take on a new perspective and a new understanding about what is the real battle going on in this marriage or this relationship or between this coworker or between this and neighbor and you. A lot of times we're guilty of this. Let me take just a little tangent. We keep asking God for wisdom when we don't use the wisdom He's already given us. Right? God! I keep asking for wisdom, but really what I'm asking you to do is just do it for me. Isn't that true? Just fix it for me. I don't want to get my hands messy. And God's like, no, I've given you wisdom. You know the right thing to do. But you're on a fishing expedition. You're going to keep fishing until you get an answer out in the world that lines up with you. So then you can say, okay, I I have my answer. No, God's wisdom comes through the Holy Spirit and through His Word, and it's going to happen by asking. By asking. Second thing is seeking. Uh, not passive, seeking is, is very active. Uh, you're pursuing, you're pushing, you're uncovering, you're putting two and two together. Knowledge is one thing, but wisdom is taking all that knowledge and putting it together and understanding the way things work, right? So now let's put it back in context. You're asking and seeking about a relationship and having wisdom, and you're saying, God, what am I supposed to do? Now, I've shared this story before in Bible study. I might have shared it before. I'm just going to call his name Ed okay? I don't want to use his last name because we do record this and it does go on the internet. Ed was a raging alcoholic and he was coming to my recovery group. We were leading a recovery group and he was coming and he'd be sober for a week and then he'd go off and then he'd be sober and he was just so frustrating and he was trying to work the program. He was trying and trying. And there were other people in the program that We're like so judgmental towards him. I said, let me tell you his story. This is part of that seeking, part of asking questions, wanting to know God's answer, his wisdom. I said, do you know when Ed was six years old? It was 1966. So he's about the same age as me. So suddenly I had a bond with Ed. Ed's brother was 10 years older. Ed's brother was into heroin. Ed's brother and him lived in San Francisco at the time. Ed's brother used to shoot him up at 6 years old with heroin. That boy was a heroin addict from age 6 to age 21. At age 21, he finally broke the addiction of heroin. You should see the scars that were on him from all the needles. Now he's in his 40 and he's an alcoholic. He's trying to give his life to Jesus. And there were some, hands on hip, judgy, 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 judgy. I would have been in that same boat too. Had I not asked and sought the Holy Spirit's wisdom on how to deal with Ed. Ed, tell me a little bit about yourself. And suddenly he shares his backstory. Do you know what happened in my heart? Understanding, compassion, wisdom on how to deal with Ed. That wouldn't have happened if I had not asked, sought, and knocked. Here I would have been guilty of judging instead of being the counselor. That's how we can live in Jesus' kingdom now at the same time we live in a fallen world. Am I right? We have to have the Holy Spirit in us so that we can ask and seek and knock. Let's go back to the text. Let's look at point number two. Verse 80 says... This, our verse 9, which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Now, there's a play on, on, on this because uh, the bread didn't come out like Weber's bread. The bread they made looked like little stones. You've made dinner rolls before, that's what they used and baked in their ovens. What good father would say, here to their son, and it's a stone that looks like a piece of bread? He goes, you guys wouldn't do that. And then he goes on and he says what? He says this. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you fillet a snake open and you fillet a fish open, both meats are going to look pretty similar. One was considered dirty and unclean and defiling, a snake. Jews were not allowed to eat snakes. They were allowed to eat fish. How many of you, he is saying, would purposely defile your child? Purposely defile their innocence? And he says, none of you would, right? It's it's a rhetorical question. And he says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give you good things to those who ask him? Here's the fill in the blank. Um, the Father will give you what you need. The Father will give you what you need. You don't know what it's like to be a teacher until you're a teacher. You don't know what it's like to serve in the military until you serve in the military. You do not know what it's like to have an autistic child until you what? Have an autistic child. You don't know what it's like to eat hand-to-mouth, hand-to-mouth, hand-to-mouth for years if you've never eaten hand-to-mouth, hand-to-mouth, hand-to-mouth. And so we have to ask the Lord for wisdom because we're all a little fragile, aren't we? We all come with Hurts and hang ups and baggage, we all have the potential to all need grace. Do you need grace? I need grace because we're damaged people. And yet God says, I'm going to give you the wisdom now. Ask, seek, knock, because I give good gifts. You ask questions and let the Holy Spirit give you understanding. You know, we are most likely to sacrifice for our children than any other relationship, right? Yeah. So what is the text telling us? Well, we sang about it a little while ago. He's a good, good father. He's not going to leave you out, hanging you out to dry. He's not going to hire you for a job and then not tell you how to do the job. He's going to come along and He's going to give you instruction and wisdom. But you have to ask. It's not passive. You have to seek. You have to be involved. You have to be engaged. Again, I'll go back to, yes, Jesus feeds the birds of the air, but the birds are busy. Yes, He gives you grace and gives you the ability to be a counselor. But you have to be knowledgeable. You have to ask questions. God treats us with loving generosity as his children. And this is like the big wind-up. How many of you like baseball? I, I got to teach my, when I subbed this past week, I got to teach kids how to throw a ball. It was a lot of fun. A lot of them were trying to use the wrong foot forward and they had their, they're doing this thing. And But what happens is, is, man, when you get your body into it and you throw, you got weight behind it, this is the wind-up To the golden rule. This is really almost the conclusion, the highlight of Jesus' sermon. Back in Matthew chapter five, he says this do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets, I have come to fulfill it. And then what does he say? Here's the wind up and the pitch: Do unto others as you would have them do to you. For this is the summation of the law and the prophets. This is the bookend to his sermon. It's the therefore. And why is the there therefore? Because it points back to what we just covered. Now, there have been some men in our world, some of them might have been Buddha or Confucius, there's been some rabbis, some other people that came up with what's called the silver rule. You know, have you ever heard of the silver rule? Okay, the silver, the silver, if I can pronounce it, silver rule is this. I, uh, let, me, let me read it so I won't paraphrase it. Do no harm to others that you wish no one would do to you. It's the negative of the golden rule. What is hateful to you, don't do to anybody else. But do you know what the silver rule does? It requires nothing of me. It just means that I'm not going to steal from Waylon because I don't want Waylon stealing from me. So it doesn't do anything. The silver rule doesn't actuate anything in my person to be like Jesus. The golden rule says what? Treat others like I want to be treated. Do you want to be treated with kindness? Then be kind. You want to be given forgiveness? Then be forgiving. Do you want people to give you the benefit of the doubt? Then you give people the benefit of the doubt. Do you want to be tailgated? Don't tailgate anybody else. Okay, I just threw that in there. Because I hate being tailgated. I don't want anybody to tailgate me, so I don't tailgate. That's kind of like the silver rule. But, the, you know, it's just... Do you want to be appreciated at work? Do we all want to be appreciated at work? Then appreciate those that you work with. Do you want to be loved? Then be loving. Do you want to be loved? Be loving. I love what Romans chapter 5 says, verse 5. It says, hope, hoping in Jesus, hoping in his salvation, hoping in the new person that we're becoming, hoping on all that. He said, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. John 13 is very famous for this. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. This was like revolutionary back then. And in our political climate today and in this whole world of identity politics where we now label everybody so that we can hate everybody, all of that is so evil. It's so wrong. Why are we doing it? Why can't we just be people? Are you with me on this? And Jesus says, I want you to love one another. No qualifications. I don't care what color they are. I don't care what they do for a living. I don't care their political uh, persuasion. I want you to love one another. And then Jesus says, this is the kicker. And the world will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. You know, only the Holy Spirit can empower us to love one another the way Jesus loved us. So, how do you become a grace giver without casting your pearls before swine? You have discernment through the Holy Spirit. You ask, ask Him, ask Him. And then we treat others like we want to be treated ourselves. I want to go back for a second to this ask, seek, and knock. Do you notice how each verb gets stronger? Do you see that? Uh, It goes from asking to seeking to knocking. Uh, Let me give you an example. Let's say... Oh, I'm looking for someone with a daughter. Uh, and uh, you have a daughter. If your daughter went missing, what's the first thing you start doing? You start asking people to look for her, right? They don't find her, what do you do? You start seeking. You get out of posse. You get out of search. I mean, if somebody, if a child of ours was lost in the woods, first we'd be asking everybody, have you seen my daughter? Have you seen my daughter? Have you seen my daughter? Then it kicks up a notch and it says, now I'm going to go seeking for her. I'm seeking for her. I'm seeking for her. And then what happens? If you don't find her, don't get information about her, you start doing what? You knock on every door that you can. Do you see how the verbs progress then? Asking, seeking, knocking. It intensifies. Because some of your situations are so rough, you're not sure exactly what to do as a Christian. Do I enable? Do I chase after? Do I do? God, what am I supposed to do with this daughter? What am I supposed to do with this son? This son that just, what do I do with this coworker at work? And you're perplexed on how to live in the kingdom and yet in a fallen world. Ask, seek, and knock the Holy Spirit. Lord, what, do you, what am I supposed to do in this troubled marriage? Ask for wisdom, discernment. Seek out wisdom, counsel. Knock out those tough decisions. Do you see how that's a progression? You ask, you seek, you knock. God's wisdom is our greatest need. Discernment on what is the right thing to do in every situation, in every relationship, at every moment. And then what begins to happen? You start living more in this kingdom than in that kingdom and pretty soon you have this peace that surpasses understanding because you're not second guessing yourself you're acting in faith on the wisdom that the Holy Spirit gave you but be asking be seeking, be knocking and it doesn't matter about just a log and a twig in someone's eye it's about anything in your life I do believe that because the Holy Spirit is there to lead you to become the man and woman that he's called you to be. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for today. I thank you that you have not abandoned us and that your power is right there for us. And we can ask. And you're going to give us that wisdom if we ask in faith. So, Father, I thank you for that. I thank you that the joy that comes from living in your kingdom is like this fountain that flows up and we're no longer bothered and hung and hamstrung and weighted down by the things of this world because we now see with better clarity. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.